everyone. Welcome back to Vox Popcast, the weekly studio academic roundtable of pop cultural analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Hannah Rogers, and you can just call me Hannah. And I am once again back for actually like it's been like over a month with my co-host Wayne. Hey Hannah. Yeah, I somehow missed like a month in there as well. Like I did one a couple weeks ago, but uh it was really surprised at how many episodes there have been that I wasn't on. So the, I have no yeah, excuse. We're the slackers and now we're back. <laughs> and oddly enough, as people have probably noticed by now, without Mav, who is the one who's almost always here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It's been 200, over 200 episodes and I finally have introduced the show. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, so, we're, so, yeah, so we're, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, this is what <laughs> happens after our, uh, our entire rib is thrown off, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so you know. what's our show about? What's our show about? Let's just jump right into it. I, I feel like you should tell me what the show's about. <laughs> it's uh, since it's your topic. Okay. I, I it's probably illly defined. I did the blog. I just for all our shows on genre, we really haven't done a show dedicated to fantasy. And this fall, we had two television shows. Uh, and you're going to have to correct me on the titles House of the Dragon, uh, which is based in the George R. R. Martin Game of Thrones world, and uh, Rings of Power, which is Tolkien's or the Rings world. And they premiered really very closely together. And it just felt like there was a lot of buzz and a lot of dragons on TV all at once. And, well, this is a good chance for us to talk about A, those shows, and B, fantasy in general. So, so that's what we're going to talk about. Out. And, and we have oh, a couple of guests. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, and we, we have a couple of guests. <laughs> <laughs> We're on the same page. Go ahead. Introduce them, Anna. All right. Well, we have two friends of the show back. First, we have Max. Uh, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Hey, Max. And then just uh, as everybody's probably heard by now, Max is the writer, performer, uh, person who created our ever so epic theme song. So thanks again, Max, four and a half years later. You're quite welcome. <laughs> and we have returning guest Kate. Uh, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Kate, actually, I think this was your idea because last time you were on was the Sandman episode. And during that episode, you suggested we do an episode on this. So we ran with it. So technically, this is your fault. <laughs> so I'm thanks. sorry and not at all. <laughs> we are grateful for ideas. So I'm glad you suggested. And I think uh, once we get over this initial Wait, Mav usually does this stuff part of the show. Uh, I think it'll be fine. That's a great energy. Yeah, yeah. We just did it again. <laughs> I wrote my blog. I will fully admit, uh, you know, I I haven't watched much of the new shows. I've seen about half of Rings of Power. Uh, although I've read all the novels and I've seen the movies and I'm familiar with the backstory. It's not my fandom in the way it is some people, but I, you know, I'm versed in it. Uh, I spent part of the Call for Comments blog complaining about how I'm tired of waiting for Game of Thrones stuff. And I just got really burnt out with it, and I probably won't watch it. And I don't want to spend this entire episode just bitching about that because I'm, there's probably great things going on in the show. And so hopefully other people have watched them. We want to <laughs> say what we've watched just to. Yeah, yeah, just so everybody knows where everybody's at with that. Like, I've seen none of House of Dragon, about half of Wings of Power. So, so I, I also have not seen any House of Dragon, and I won't because I'm not, I'm, I just don't care about the Game of Thrones world. Uh, the only time I cared was when the show, the original show, ruined Brienne and Jamie's narrative so badly, both like politically <laughs> and personally and like narratively. But that was like because they had done something like so wrong, it made me care, which is not a good sign. 
I have seen all rings of power and I know it's going to make the internet mad, but I really enjoyed it. Okay. I also really love rings of power. I've watched it twice all the way through and frankly am bereft on my Fridays. Now, what am I just supposed to do? Live my little life. I've seen about half of house of the dragon non-sequentially. Oh, interesting. That must be interesting. Yes. I've seen the entirety of both shows. Okay, good. Well, the show is your now. Oh, shit. <laughs> I, I guess I'm just in, in a broader context, just talking about fantasy. I think both of those, I see them as, in terms of classic fantasy, I see them as representing and representing opposite ends of the spectrum. Lord of the Rings is so much, and once again, this is my perspective on it, but it feels like so much, it's about the pageantry of that world. You know, everything is beautiful and they speak in flowery language and, you know, then you, when Tolkien wrote it, it was all about the language, you know, he before, yeah, apparently to write a fantasy world, you need to spend a lot of time creating languages first, uh, which was his inroad into this. And Game of Thrones has always felt just darker and dirtier and more real world that has dragons in it. So I, I see that as an interesting contrast between the two and the fact that they're both the popular ones. I kind of want to explore those ideas a little bit. Talk about the show. So what do you like about Lord of the Rings stuff or the Rings of Power? Well, I like how on week to week basis, you can have a quasi medieval fantasy without mistreating women. I'm a yeah, big that's good. Yeah. yeah, that's good. <laughs> very yeah. low ask and yet apparently it's quite hard. Uh, I'll just lay out my like little hot take five minutes into the episode. I would rather watch Rings of Power than any of the original Lord of the Rings movies. But okay. it, I mean, if, I mean, especially The Hobbit. But so like 10 years ago, literally 10 years ago, I took a Tolkien class with a medievalist. And one of the things I did was, you know, like actually like analyze the books and the movies. And my final paper, I wrote it from like a feminist perspective. And I now just can't unsee the fact that like they're like four women with names. They don't really get to have conversations with each other and it and like there's even like you know the creepy like it's not game of thrones level but the creepy like worm tongue like aon plot line and it just like you know like rosie is basically like a reward for sam and i was like but what if women had stories and talked to each other and like it's such a low bar and like there's more to like making a good show than that but it happened it happened on rings of power it happened. Women talk to each other. <laughs> that that scene between Bronwyn and Galadriel after the big battle, or no, actually not Galadriel, Muriel, and it's just woman leader talking to woman leader, and then they're like, "Oh, let's bring in, uh, bring in our other male leader." Hey, buddy, you've done all the work. It was just a fascinating scene. Yeah, and I actually really loved all of the like conversations between Galadriel and Muriel, like throughout the series. And, like, it was really, like, nice to see, like, these clashing perspectives, like, come to an understanding and these women, like, get fleshed out. Um, I know that there's been a lot of, like, complaints online about Gladriel's characterization. I find it fascinating that they're starting with her as, like, angry, like, closer to Sauron than she actually, like, wants to be, quite literally. And in all the ways. And she, you know, is going to, like, go from that to, like, the Gladriel we see in the movies. And I think that could, like, has the potential to be a really interesting, like, multi-season journey. (laughs) And with my little fangirl brain, there's a little part of me that's, like... I would love to see like the dark alternative universe where Galadriel joins Sauron and is the Dark Queen and mm-hmm. that the, 
the potentialities there are so fascinating to me. <laughs> I think that would be more plausible to me at this point than wherever they do go with it. Cool. Go on. I think Galadriel's kind of a terrible person. And it uh so what mainly got me was the part where she was threatening genocide on all the orcs. After having already pursued genocide against all the orcs for a thousand years, it seems. So that's an integral part of the books. And in one of my Tolkien groups who are really like talking about the fact like how orc genocide is completely uninterrogated in the text. And this is like in the context of like, okay, they're published in the 19, these books are published in the 1950s. Like there, there's like multiple like anti-war conventions about how genocide is bad and wrong. And yet still in the appendices, like there's whole things about how after the second war of the ring, like Aragorn and Aomer and everyone literally spend the rest of their lives hunting down the orcs. And so on this, and they have on this show introduction of Adar, where he's talking about trying to liberate them, how they prefer the term Uruk orc, and like just really kind of interrogating the fact that they are people. And I mean, there, there's a lot of other stuff going on in the show with like kind of decolonizing Tolkien's text. That one in particular was give me more. <laughs> we did an episode sometime in the last four years about like some of the classic racist and sexist tropes in fantasy, I guess. We didn't mm -hmm. do a fantasy episode, didn't we? So, yeah, talking about those exact kinds of things. Yeah, and one thing I really liked in the early episodes is that they actually like explored orc culture and so like I it would be really actually it would be really interesting to me once again putting a hot take on the internet. They just went against a lot of what's actually in the text for the very like things the two of you are unearthing because like Tolkien's narrative if not in itself but like for what it's been used for so long has like reinforced some really bad fantasy tropes that are pretty harmful <laughs> one of the things I enjoy but also have mixed feelings about is the portrayal of the Southlands in the beginning and it's an occupied it's an occupied land by the elves after the war and so there, there's some really interesting stuff there like the, where you know the elves watching to make sure that the people's knives aren't too sharp and things like 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 this very serious actual foreign occupation of a conquered nation right and in the books this area of the territory that becomes Mordor there's near Harad there's far Harad and they're quasi Indian and Middle Eastern you know they have the Mumakils and they have scimitars and so forth. And what I thought was interesting here is how they are instead portrayed as miscellaneous Western European. Like Bronwyn is a Welsh name, Iranian American actress with a Welsh name. And they're, they kind of like keeping this idea of, you know, that this kind of foreign occupation, but they're kind of minimizing the kind of multiculturalism Middle Earth, but also like in a way that's still problematic but it's de-problematizing it because there's a whole stuff about how and they did keep this line in the first episode like they, they talk about the inherent evil like darkens the veins of the people right and so they, they i guess decided that they did not want to say all the brown people are evil which good job but instead they just but they also just made it like kind of boring like reinforcing this idea of quasi, quasi medieval worlds is just vaguely european yeah <laughs> no, I, I think that's all I, you'd say. It's been a long time since I've read the stuff, but yeah, my memory of that is 
like I don't remember that being well developed in the main trilogy. They were just random, you know, the men of the South or whatever they were referred to without a lot of description. But let's say it's been ages since I've read it. Rode on elephants and they yeah, right. participated in a battle. Yeah, right. Yeah. There was much more to them than that. Yeah, and it was I, I much more made up in the Peter Jackson films. And like, what I remember when those movies came out in the early two thousands is it was because it was po- immediately post nine eleven. There was a lot of loaded West versus East language that was already there, but was like really reemphasized as part of like the lead up to the Iraq War and stuff. So have any of you read all of the other miscellaneous token stuff that's been released in the last thirty years? I mean, past the Cimmerillion, you know, all the because I, I know his what son or grandson Christopher was releasing pretty much anything that that he had scribbled on I've, in some I've form read, or another. I've like attempted the Silmarillion, like not in the past decade, but like I tried really hard when I was young, and I just like could not do it. After a certain point, I did read the Children of Hurin, which is one of those you know like released by like Christopher Tolkien, published um, in the two thousands. Like my father got me a copy. It was like when I was trying to like do the Silmarillion, I was like, I don't know, can't do this. But then eventually had to read it for the Tolkien class I took, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is a lot. <laughs> I did read it, but I haven't read anything past that. I've read chunks of, of, of the different texts. I've read chunks of Silmarillion. I've read chunks of some of the more, you know, the, the history of Middle Earth. I'm really curious. So so there's a book that's coming in a couple weeks. It is The Fall of Numenor, and it is a compilation of a bunch of the Second Age stuff edited by Brian Sibley. And there's not a table of contents for it. So I, I am utterly unclear is if this is like stuff that's pulled out from bits and pieces of like the 13 volumes of the unfinished tales or if this is some new stuff or if it's a combination of those and i'm like dude it's 35 bucks just give me a hint as to whether i need to pony up again or not come on give me something <laughs> so i guess do you think there is a division that thing i talked about with them being these two series having very different feels in terms of fantasy there's a divide in the fandom that people lean more one toward the other and if so what reasons or not I mean, at least what I see in my social media is is a kind of split. Like the people who are really into Game of Thrones are really into House of the Dragon. The people who are really into Tolkien either really love or really hate Rings of Power. And for different reasons, like one of my colleagues, no, has incredibly strong feelings about Elrond and Elrond's backstory, which is totally just getting nerfed here. And I'm like, would never have occurred to me to have strong feelings about Elrond one way or the other because I'm a terrible human being. Oh. <laughs> I'm just like, this is fine. He and Duran are bros. That's adorable. Yeah, except Elrond's a really bad friend. I admit that like I related way too much to Elrond in that scene where he's like, oh, it's only been 20 years because like sometimes I'll like look at my phone. I'm like, oh, it's been like two years since I've texted you. I'm sorry. I didn't feel that long. <laughs> so honestly, kind of relatable. It's the most I've ever cared about Elrond because he's not being an absolute jerk to someone. The elf, the elf leaders are not super great. 
Should we talk about the insufficient hotness of the else on this show? I feel that's maybe important. <laughs> well, yeah, because you know, we did mention, uh, and our co-host Monica talked about this in our chat when we were talking about this episode, uh, just that you know, for years, her aesthetic, and I kind of agreed, was you know, sexy elf. So we did mention sexy elves in this. So, yeah, are they not sexy enough? Well, why does Kella Brimbor look so old? Yes. I think they should cast real elves. Yeah, yeah that's my problem with this. Yeah, th- then you, we could skip this problem. Well, at some point, Kella Brimbor is going to be stripped down and tortured in a kind of like quasi Saint Sebastian thing and then prayed about naked. And I don't want to see Charles Edwards prayed about naked. <laughs> no torture and violence and stuff is wrong, but if you're going to go full medieval Catholic, could he, could he be prettier? <laughs> When I, I do think that uh, I know when I was reading The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings the first time, just that that idea of the elves, that that near perfect beauty, but you know, it's also a very you know Northern European, very white, very blonde, blue eyed, classic beauty. But you know, that otherworldliness, the idea of sexy, uh, being a big drawing point for I think lots of people. I mean, Orlando Bloom certainly cashed in on that. Well, there's there's even like the thing like like thing about the hair color and the fact that black-haired elves have they, they have a mixed ancestry and the full the, the elder elves are you know the, the, the pure blonde the pure whiteness etc and you know one thing it's blatantly strikes it talking about this later but you think about that too with the imagery of the tv adaptation of the witcher and the eldar elves there and the very pure white hair and so on well, and the Targaryens are essentially the elves of the Game of Thrones world, right? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, yeah, but I mean, in terms of the way they're presented physically and their culture and that sort of thing, I mean, they're not elves, but metaphorically, I think they're the elves of the Game of Thrones world. They have mystical connections to dragons and stuff. Lots of you white know, hair. You know, I've never thought about that. I've never I don't know that I had until we were thinking about this episode and I was thinking of the two series. <laughs> I, and I think the sexy elves compliment, Monica made me think about that. It's like, oh, yeah. Targaryens are sexy elves. They are slightly otherworldly. You know, they say the white hair, the purple eyes, uh, all of that stuff. They stand out from all the other people of the Game of Thrones world, uh, Westeros. What would be really interesting to me, okay, this is me showing like 10 seconds of interest in like, (laughs) what has always been like a question in my mind as someone who like does not care enough to interrogate the current text and saw the end of the show because she likes staying with her friends and hated like the way it was presented. But like, so like the Targaryens are like, straight up colonizers like they took over Westeros and then like Danny and the conquerors yeah yeah Uh, yeah. Uh, and Danny like is has been like described I've seen by a lot of people's like a white savior in the books like throughout most of the show then like you know she comes back to like reclaim her throne and like goes crazy quite literally over presumably like a guy turning her down or something because or just you know like because she's a woman who can't handle power because they really gave up trying to write women on that show but i feel women like with power and westeros are crazy and or evil like 
I kind of left with Sansa at the end who's decided to like fuck off to the north. Maybe she won't be crazy, but we don't know. Like I so like I've always like wondered like what are the politics like what will be like the final politics of like the books that Martin may finish one day in like thinking about the Targaryens and like grossness. Because I I feel like, you know, we've talked about how like Tolkien doesn't super interrogate the genocide of like the orcs or there's definitely like colonization in middle earth but it's presented in ways that we might not be so happy with but like i wonder if game of thrones is trying to do something different as much as i don't like to give game of thrones credit for things well game of thrones i think has a uh has a general viewpoint that everyone is pretty much evil yeah and there's no reward for being good really so i mean yeah the targaryens are shit but so is everybody else yeah they're just your brand of tarth (laughs) (laughs) targaryens are just better at it but is that something like yeah is that something to be celebrated because i feel like i don't think it's really yeah. yeah i don't think there's really a lot of celebrating going on yeah, because like I feel like in the books, like there's a lot like it's not it's like the Lannisters are bad because they're ruthless. Like Tywin Lannister like wins momentarily, but he's like terrible and he like causes a lot of bad stuff. But it seemed the show really kind of reveled in like some of the badness more mm. than the books, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a we think of dystopian fantasy as you know, science fiction and the future, but I mean this is it's pretty dystopian. Yeah, it's this idea of what Max just said. It's a vision of humanity and politics and and all the stuff that comes out of that. And and, and in you know, in you know, one of the differences, one of the tropes of classic fantasy and you know, Tolkien. I don't know if he's necessarily the person who set it in motion, but the whole there is a great evil in the land and we must stop it. And Game of Thrones is very much as there's a great evil. Yeah, it's Thursday. Uh, it's, yeah. uh, it's much more widespread and just accepted as this is the way things are. And there's that hope of if we destroy the Dark Lord, everything will get better. We don't have that in, in the Mithrone stuff. That has just been such a trope of so much yeah. classic fantasy, what people think of as classic fantasy and overused yeah. trope. Something has been done way, way too much. Although I do like that Tolkien, like at the very, something Peter Jackson left out. I do like it at the end of Lord of the Rings is that, uh, you know, the hobbits go home to the Shire after the Dark Lord has been vanquished. Mm-hmm. And there's the sacking of the, the Shire. Yeah. Like, yeah, things are terrible there. The war's still going yeah. on. Yeah. In the interland. Yeah. And it's like the one place you never thought like would even see war, given like how the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings like sets it up as like this, you know, peaceful place. No one goes off on adventures. Whereas it feels like in Game of Thrones, in the bits I've like read of like, you know, like the Brienne chapters, like the small folk are some of the people it feels like most touched by the great evil land. And that's consistent. Mm-hmm. I know the first time I read through Lord of the Rings, that felt it's like the main and then you know i was young i was looking for the though we beat the great oh, lord uh and we get back to the shower and there's another hundred pages of that it felt tacked on to me at the time i now think that's really an essential part of the book and important and should have been in the movies in some fashion for yeah. those reasons that just you know, evil persists you know, it's the effects of this spread out into the land and affects people and continues there is no we beat the bad guy everything's rosy you know? and i think that's probably you know, one of the reasons game of thrones brought me back in is it wasn't those tropes it wasn't the there's a great dark lord we need to defeat and here's a special group of people who get together and go on a quest to, to do so uh, 
Uh, and let's say there's been so much of that. And I think that's what brought me into Game of Thrones. It felt like a more, I hesitate to use the word real world, but certainly influenced by real world, middle ages, you know, politics and seemed to buck against those things I had grown to expect from fantasy that I was tired of in fantasy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if like Tolkien based a lot of his stuff on mythology mm-hmm. and you can see the mirrors of that in his work, I feel like you could say Martin does the same thing, but with like British history. Yeah. Yeah. What well, War of the Roses and a lot of that stuff, I think, play into it pretty, pretty strongly. And I would also argue like he, he was a, an AP reporter during Vietnam, too. So mm-hmm. that, that complete yeah. disenchantment with modern warfare, modern politics, people mm-hmm. getting blown to bits overseas and then people back home not really caring, which is always one of the mm-hmm. things that like that bothered me about the books and the TV show is how there, there's the whole background plot of like the uh, of the whites and the Winter King and so forth. And then in the last season that gets taken care of actually pretty quickly. And so then, like, it becomes like the last six episodes are an extended scouring of the Shire, reset to everything, except the new reset is essentially where we were back at episode one with, you know, an absentee king who's not going to be very good at his job. Sorry, Bran. He's largely <laughs> corrupt, like, cabinet of people working for the king. And you're like, okay, so we can just go ahead and set the timer for the next war, shall we? Yeah. Cool. Well, and it, I think coming back to what Max said, it's that, that there is no hope in that world. It, all this stuff was resolved, but now we're back to, like, say, yes, at the clock, if we are moving forward to the same catastrophe. Uh, nothing has really changed, just the names and faces are different. And that really is, that's part of the Lord of the Rings as well. It's just that from the perspective of the elves, that's what they see. It's called the long war. The fact that they are constantly fighting the forces of entropy and darkness and Sauron and so forth. And the fact that humans aren't inherently corruptible in a way that they are not. So screw it. We're going to go back to Valinor. Good luck with this new age of men and stuff. The ones who hang around are going to diminish. And I read a fascinating Tumblr post a while back talking about how the war of the Lord of the Rings is post-apocalyptic. Like, even within the setting of Rings of Power, which is an earlier age, it's already a world that's filled with all of these ruined cities of a past that's bygone. There's, you know, the early survivors, like the elves and stuff, like, they all have variations of PTSD from the things that they have seen and experienced. Mm -hmm. And then they're the more Mortal folk who are just trying to live about their days. Yeah, it's and fascinating. I, I remember reading something, and once again, a long time ago, just talking about the genre of fantasy and the point they were making. And I can't reference this because this I'm tapping into memories here. The idea of fantasy, part of the reason it appealed to people is that the that it simplified things. It created here are good guys, you know, here are bad guys. There's good in this world, and there is evil in this world, and the lines are clear cut, and you know, in the end, good triumphs. And I don't know that's ever really been true in any of these. I mean, certainly not true in the Game of Thrones world. I don't know if that's true in Tolkien either. It seems like, yes, we defeated Sauron, but it, but the scouring of the Shire, you know, this goes on. I don't know that is an accurate description of fantasy. So I get maybe just coming to that question, why does fantasy of this type, you know, high fantasy or 
anything that falls within the fantasy genre? Why does it appeal? I had a conversation four or five years ago with a, a friend of mine. He's a local comics artist. Uh, and this is a guy who reads superheroes and can be all in on superpowers and that kind of thing. And he said he simply didn't understand the appeal of fantasy whatsoever. He just couldn't wrap his brain around dragons and orcs and wizards and stuff. It just seemed silly to him and he just didn't get it. So for the people who do get it, why? What's a good answer for him? I know what I said to him at the time, but I think that's worth talking about. Well, I I guess, so have you guys, have any of you guys read any of the books by R.F. Kuang, the Poppy War trilogy, which, okay, so, so it's an epic fantasy and it is basically a fantastic version of Japanese, Chinese, Russian war. And literally like the first book basically has like the rape of Nanking in it as a a fantasy version of that. Like the entire series is an ill-conceived war, genocide, terrible things happening, PTSD for survivors all around. Also, everyone's queer and, you know, it's an Asian fantasy rather than a a European fantasy. Mm. And it's fascinating and it's dark it will make you angry and but it goes back to these same sort of things like there there aren't good characters it's everyone making the least shitty of a bunch of shitty choices just repeatedly as much more in common with i think game of thrones than tolkien but the thing that struck me about it and i'm still trying to think through is it's tapping into a lot of mythologizing of national nationalisms that I think Tolkien kind of played with in Lord of the Rings like if you think of hobbits as being quaint little English folk and you know rest of that world is big and various parts of Western Europe this is doing the same thing but with Chinese and Japanese nationalisms and I'm just been thinking it through and it's it leads me down weird paths to my mind essentially like like is this all like you know we we read fantasy like I mean Tolkien had the quote about escapism in the original meaning which is as an escape from prison a prison of everyday life and Mm. when we are looking at so many of the fantasies of today I don't know that we're really escaping the prison of everyday life I think we're looking at different versions that maybe make us feel slightly better because i don't know less nuclear anxiety or something i don't know <laughs> slash ramble yeah and that was part of my answer to him is i do think there are times that i we can only approach reality obliquely at times we need to do it metaphor because reality can be so overwhelming and you know the nature of story the nature of this stuff simplifies thing our world is incredibly complex uh and breaking something down into good guys bad guys and then elaborating on that can certainly allow you to approach some of these ideas in a safe space i there's also you know part of my answer to him would just you know, dragons and elves are cool <laughs> i mean there for a lot of people I don't think it's much more than that. You know, we're drawn to what we're drawn to, though. Yeah, I mean, on and off. I've been spending a lot of time with King Arthur the past two years. You know, because I made you do a Green Knight episode. And I've spent a lot of time with uh, the matter of written myself. 
yeah. And, you know, like the, I think the new, technically, actually, the two newest fantasy books I've bought are one, Swordstone Table, which is like a anthology of like retold like King Arthur stories. I like diverse authors and like some of them are set in modern day. Some of them are not. And I also like bought The Buried Giant as a treat to myself when it first came out. Uh, and now it's like old, but like um, in 2015, The Buried Giants by Kazuo girl and like a telling of like King Arthur, but like after he's dead, Sir Gawain is the main character. I'm sure you're all shocked that I'm listening to. I'm reading more about Gawain. And I think that like what is to me about King Arthur is that like as a concept, like the myth, you know, like he dies, right? Like, like technically Mordred kind of wins in some way, but he dies, but like Arthur will return. There's like still hope there. And then like there's all these like cyclical retellings and they like become like more than their source material and they speak back to it and i don't know i just i think that like there's something like i think fantasy acknowledges dark stuff but mm-hmm. there there is a branch of fantasy that also like remains hopeful even if it seems pretty dark like i think that like i keep saying i don't care but like i think one thing that like i think the game of thrones tv show really missed out on was going totally dark and missing out on those moments of hope that are in the books from how i understand them in my patchworky reedy way because let's be real i don't have time to read all of it especially whenever it might never ever finish prove me wrong martin prove me wrong um, <laughs> and with the arthur stuff i'm gonna throw in a couple of comic things i mean the, that first the first time i'd read some arthur as a teenager and you just and it's omnipresent in our culture but that first i first time i encountered the idea of the once and future king you know i hadn't read mm-hmm. that yet but the idea of you know in, in the time of great britain's greatest needs uh arthur will return uh comic series maxi series in the early 80s uh mike barn and uh brian boland called camelot 3000 and set in the year 3000 and aliens invade and it's the time of britain's greatest need and arthur and his knights return to, to fight the aliens but that idea of you know arthur returns to, to save us there's a current series called once in future and it's by karen gillen who did wicked and divine which i've talked about too much but it kind of takes a different tack on that. It's a different interpretation. Is like, what if the return of Arthur is the cause of Britain's hour of greatest need? He's not here to save us. When Arthur returns, it all goes to hell, which I think is a nice twist on that prophecy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just stands it on its head and creates a very different scenario. And I admit, oh. as, much, as much as I like Kieran Gillen, when I first read the premise of that, read the first issue, it bucked up against my expectations of Arthurian fiction and you know, that, that classic stuff and the stuff that I love. It's like, oh, the knights are good guys. But it's been really well done. And like everything else he does, it's, just, it's gone off in all kinds of other directions. But I thought that was a really great conceit for a new take on an Arthurian story. I mean, it gets at the point that you really shouldn't rely on a monarch to solve your problems. You're right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I'm even thinking, like, since we're thinking about Tolkien, I feel like if there's a really good example of, like, good and evil drawn in the sand fantasy that I read as a kid, it would definitely be Chronicles of Narnia, which, like, I know it, like, you know, surfaces mm-hmm. from, like, many of the same problems of Tolkien in terms of, like, the racism and, like, the... I'm still so mad about, like, Susan being left out of heaven. Just why? Like, Come on, like she just wasn't wasn't on the train, so she didn't get killed. Yeah, but like they were like, she's like so into lipstick now. I guess I shouldn't be mad that she's not dead. I guess she can like live her life and still, I still hang out again. I don't know. Get the game and story on it. Yeah, 
But, you know, I do feel like, though, that, like, you know, like, Chronicles, well, Chronicles of Narnia, theoretically, is being developed for a TV series. And uh, Philip Pullman's fantasy series, which is, like, you know, Angry Man hates a book series, writes a series that's the, like, purposefully is the anti Chronicles of Narnia is on HBO Max, too, actually. But I feel like they're not, like, they're not congruent or, like, the they're not, like, the same, like, in the same realm as, like, House of the Dragon or Rings of Power and I never really like know like what like levels of fantasy there are because I'm not an expert I'm just someone who mm. reads fantasy novels on occasion so I guess what? my question is like you know what makes something high fantasy or like how would like yeah. how do we like categorize like these novels that I are mean, fantasy? We should, yeah we should probably do another show on urban fantasy which is a whole different thing it has fantasy elements but you know, it's that typically contemporary you know modern life with fantasy elements and so we're closing in on our hour we're going you know, we're, I, I'm not calling it yet but I do, what are your recommendations all of you for a fantasy that is is worth reading and I'm saying this fully admitting that I'm out of touch with a lot of modern fantasy but what are some of your favorites that you would recommend for people who are interested in this beyond Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings so I'm about halfway through R.F. Kuang's new novel Babel mm. which is 19th century dark academia let's talk about decolonization but with magic that's working for me and i also have uh wesley choose the art of prophecy which i have not yet started but it's sitting on my shelf looking at me and i've heard nothing <laughs> but good things about it and i'm selfish in asking this because I, I would like to find more fantasy that i really like oh max how about you anything uh i don't really know these are my two favorites that we're talking about here so <laughs> yeah i suppose i should throw in lloyd alexander's name just because that'll make my sister happy. Oh, how could I forget? I loved those books growing up. What are the books? Uh, um, so, like, did anyone ever, like, watch the animated uh, Disney movie, The Black Cauldron? Particles mm -hmm. of Friday, baby. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, the, these are the books that okay. are much better than, like, that animated show. Like, I, I, I also, like, would say, like, I think that everyone should read Howl's Moving Castle and watch the <laughs> animated film. They're two very different uh, works, uh, both very good. That That's child me. I do think Ishiguro is so great at playing with fantasy and the very mm. giant. I, like, I originally didn't like it that much, and then I've changed my mind. I've revisited it. Also, I'm trying to, I, I've been Googling to try to remember what on earth I, like, I read something last year. I randomly discovered this like fantasy book called The Goblin Emperor by Catherine Addison it's, and I just it's so good it's so good yeah really good like the world's just super immersive and like the politics are interesting and like I just I was like really like blown away by like how good this like random novel I picked up was and yeah so I feel like that fairy tales are in a different realm maybe but Naomi Novik like has written like uprooted which is like which has like you know, fairy tale elements in it, and Spain Silver which is like a retelling of like Rumpelstiltskin but like super complicated really interesting so I guess I've read more than I thought I did when I started talking <laughs> <laughs> yeah I most of my fantasy reading the last number of years fall more in that urban fantasy category I, and I've read some of the like the Harry Dresden stuff but uh, author by the name of Charles DeLint who I really adore but his stuff once again it's urban fantasy I'm going to throw in a, a comics reference 
uh, comics recommendation. ElfQuest has been one of my favorite comic series for going on 40 years now. Uh, and it has been an ongoing series and there's been lots of side stories and extra series and can be a little intimidating when you jump in. Uh, start at the beginning, uh, uh, Wendy and Richard Peeney and brought the main story to a close just a couple of years ago. It's all available. You can go to ElfQuest.com and just read it free. There's any number of different publications. It's uh, elves, uh, but not the, and very definitely sexy elves, but uh, not the token high elves. They have more in common with uh, indigenous Native Americans, at least the first group we're introduced to uh, do. And they encounter lots of other woven cultures in the course of their quest. What I find fascinating about it, seeing like, a lot of comics, you see something like this develop over 40 years and you get to the climax of the story and you have this event that took place that was published in what 2017 2018 and this thing this huge event that ends the series and when it's over when the post drawing she had done of that scene from like 1986 or 87 she had been planning it that long and just sort of attention to detail i mean there, you know, there's room for her to expand and explore but the things that she set in motion really early in that series uh and the payoff uh, really kind of an amazing accomplishment and sort of long-term planning. Uh, are you listening, George R. R. Martin? <laughs> so, so you can have a long-running series that ends? Yeah. Well, yes and no. I mean, her world so goes on. The main story ended. She has since come back to do another story of a couple of significant characters. I don't even want to say side characters. They were main characters. Uh, but the essence of the original story did end. But say she's creating a world building. She created this large world with dozens and dozens of characters. So there's lots of room for other stories. But yeah. I had so. a related thought, which okay. is going back to the reference to his dark material which seems to be like flying under the radar of prestige fantasy. And I wonder how much, if any of that has to do with just the main plot of the atheism. And like going back to that, like I remember back in 2019 and the uh, season finale to Supernatural, like Sam Winchester shot God on prime time and there was nary a word ever said about this. <laughs> All anyone could talk about was that week's Game of Thrones and I was like, we're not going to talk about shooting God on like, you know, one of the big channels. Interesting. Yeah. And I think you're right. I do think that's an element of the the Pullman stuff uh, that keeps it away from the acclaim. Because once again, there's so much of you know, Western Christian ideology that just works woven into the fabric, obviously of Narnia, but it's there in Tolkien as well. Yeah, but to the Dark Lord, you know, like on yeah. the- <laughs> to be fair though, Philip Pullman might not be like so great. And by that I mean his books have a lot. Like his books have problems too. <laughs> well, I mean, I, it's, when I read yeah. those, I really liked the first one and my interest diminished as I continued. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, okay. That, that not what we're doing right now, but yes. Yeah. Okay. So like I read them when I was like a kid and I would like read Anthony and could read Anthony for ages. I like powered through the first one, powered through the second one. And then I got to the third one and I was like, what is this? Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't finish it. I like, I don't, I finished the Twilight series, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like I powered through the Twilight series and I just, I couldn't like, I just couldn't do it. And it wasn't because I was offended. Yeah. I, I was just interested. Yeah. 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 And I like that world a lot. I mean, the, the conceit of that world, the way it works, I thought was really interesting. Yeah. That third one just, I don't know if it got too preachy. Like I say, I wasn't offended, but it just, it felt less than subtle. Which is, you know, what people complain about C.S. Lewis about, including yeah, Pullman, right. I think. So the irony. Yes. 
Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So I guess we've resolved nothing. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Uh, but you, dear listener, if it's your fantasy to hear us ramble on about the uh, elves and whatnot, here you go. <laughs> We're sorry. <laughs> We're sorry. I'm not sorry. <laughs> uh, so I'd like to thank our guest, Kate and Max. Anything you guys want to plug? Kate, where can people find you? Uh, anything you want? Uh, they can find me on academia.edu and Facebook. My most recent thing, I had a chapter on fandom in the Companion to J.R.R. Tolkien second edition, which may be my most, this may be the most high profile thing I ever do in my life, is write the short version of Tolkien fandom history. <laughs> That's it. I'm done. I can go home now. <laughs> Max? Uh, I'd like people to check out my YouTube channel, especially the video Book of Transformations, which needs more love. I, that took a lot of computer hours and not enough people are watching it okay all right uh what's uh we'll put that in the show notes but what is yes, the please. what's your i mean it's some ridiculous youtube url i can't gotcha yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> all right we'll look at the show notes yeah and your thought form is that still you have a site for that yes. yeah that's me form music.com all right cool and you want to do the closeout or uh i think you and i should just skip yeah. uh where to find us because <laughs> we never answer that question so let's just spare each other I was about to say. All right. So can follow the show, though. All of the social medias, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Vox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com, where we post about whatever we're going to be talking about next week. I have no idea what it is. So, yeah. you know, visit, figure it out. And you can leave us comments on that post or any other show or suggest a topic or say anything else. And sometimes we pick guests from the blog. So if you really want to be on here and tell us like all of our hot takes on rings of power are wrong, go for it. If you enjoy the show, and we certainly hope that you do, uh, please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever else you can get podcasts from and do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review. That really helps us out. Especially if you leave us a five-star review, not only just a rain on iTunes, Apple podcast, this gooses the algorithm, makes us more popular, and makes Mav, uh, who is not here, feel all warm and fuzzy inside. I, I like, like it too, but I don't know if I'm warm and fuzzy about it, but I like it. Yeah. I mean, it's always nice. I still think about that one review where we like talked about Avengers Endgame. We were like, please don't listen to this if you haven't seen it. And someone like not only listened to it, but wrote to us about how excited they were to hear our takes uh, that they spoiled themselves. So I guess it doesn't matter to me. I actually have the privilege of personally thanking Maximilian of Thought for Music for our epic theme song. Thanks, Ever so more epically playing us out. Uh, I'd once again thank Max and Kate for joining us. I'd like to thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.